this revival and spreading like a wildfire in my heart a sunday morning hallelujah and it's lasting all week long can you hear it can you feel it Yo 
morning, everybody. Whew. You have to forgive me today. I'm a little groggy. I, we had a great um, board meeting for the Heavenly Hills Christian Camp, and it was in Orville yesterday. So I got to drive up to Orville, attend a five-hour board meeting, and drive home. So I'm a little tired. <laughs> but it was a real blessing. There's a lot of great things going on at camp, and a couple of the things I wanted to mention is just um, we continue to move forward at the camp trying to figure out how to do um, young people and adult camps over the summer, over the winter, in the fall coming up. There's a senior camp coming up. I think we're supposed to call it All Saints Retreat. I call it the Geezer Retreat. And so um, I haven't attended one, but I want to because um, I'm a geezer now. But um, so we're doing all these camps at camp, and yet there's just a lot of work to be done and a lot of um, COVID measures to keep everybody safe. And so we're working through that. One of the things we'll be doing in the next couple of months is taking a couple of guys and gals, if you'd like, um, up to the camp for a weekend, along with a couple of chainsaws. I haven't mentioned this to John Leary yet, but he's, in my opinion, the pro tree cutter, so I might get his help too. But we gotta fell a bunch of trees and then use them, uh, cut them up for building supplies. Um, but there's a lot of good things going on too. We applied for two of the nonprofit governmental loans uh, relating to the COVID um, issue, and we needed them to stay in business. And we got both of them. We um, we we uh, qualified for them. Thank you, old man brain. And um, they were just um, dismissed, so they were just forgiven. So the government said that if it went to a worthy cause that they deemed worthy, um, the loans would be a permanent just gift and so we were we were just able to get both of those um, forgiven so that's been really good too so a lot of work goes on up at those camps if you want more information you can always get hold of me if you want more information about when I put a chainsaw team together and head up um, you can get hold of me um, or you could just get hold of me if you wanted to get hold of me so I encourage you to do that um, let me uh, pray for us as we start the morning Father God, I just, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this house to meet in. Father, um, as we sit and swelter a little bit here in California, and, and the land that I saw driving north and then south yesterday, we just pray for rain. We pray that you would water your earth, that you would, you would bring refreshing, not only of your living water to us here this morning, but but to actual water, to our lands, to your lands, Father. Um, nourish the crops, nourish the drinking water, the fish. Um, just bring rain, Father. We just ask for that together here. We also ask for you to be with us in this conversation today. We know you are here with us. Uh, bless my words and help me uh, communicate your words in an effective manner, Father, that changes our lives through your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're going to continue on in Luke chapter 11, and this is a tough one. <laughs> I'm just going to let you know right off the bat. This is a two-part series that kind of sprang to my mind about integrity as I read through the end of Luke chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 37 through the end of the chapter, verse 44 today, 54 today. And last week we talked about just integrity in general, but today... We're going to hit close to home. This, this message 
has really challenged me personally and convicted me personally this week. Um, this idea of having personal integrity, which is very important to me as a person, uh, not just as a pastor, but just as a person before God, before my family, before my friends. I want to have personal integrity and I have to work hard at it because my flesh doesn't always want that. Paul talks about our struggles with the flesh against the spirit and that it's almost like a, it is a spiritual warfare that's always going on. And that's why it feels so hard sometimes to do spiritual things of integrity, which include um, little things in a way, like getting up and coming in or, or watching on live stream a message so that you can get fed and learn a little bit more of how to be a little more like Jesus, hopefully, or just interacting with friends and family and coworkers out in the world during these issues of COVID and when COVID goes by, there'll be something else and then there'll be something else. It's just the human condition, right? But also personal integrity, in my opinion, is one of the most important things for a Christian person to do. Because what is happening in the world, what has happened in the world since the dawn of creation is a lack of integrity. And that has included the church, and that has included church leaders. We see things going on uh, throughout history that were just terrible, right? The Crusades, the, the betrayal of people, the, the molesting of children. You know, we could just go on and on, and I don't want to. I don't want to soak in that. But we have to acknowledge it as a Christian people that we struggle with these things as well. I don't think those struggles exist here in this church, but I'm sure there are struggles that exist here. And what we have is a world that has started to give up on the church because we are just like everybody else. <clears throat> and we are. I mean, uh, Pastor Michael and I always joke around, this would be so much easier if it didn't involve people, you know, but that's all it involves, right? Um, but really, you know, I, I heard a, a saying again this week that, you know, there's that story of a guy who's looking around and, and uh, he, he tells his friend, I just can't find that perfect church. And his friend says, you're never going to find that perfect church because you're going to go there, you know, and that kind of thing, you know, and that's the thought. I'm going to go to church, so it's not going to be perfect. You're going to go to church. It's not. We're just people struggling to have more integrity before God primarily, but also before each other. And so when I read this message uh, or these verses over this last week, I was just so convicted on how important they are. As a personal disclosure that, um, you know, that is hard, I ha Kathy and I have a son who has left the church and left his faith because of hypocrisy that he saw in the church and fell into that idea of judging, I think, sort of, I don't think he would use these words, but judging God by his people, and you can't. You can only judge the grace of God by his people, right? And so that's just a, I, I want to make that statement because it's important. This affects all of us. And so many people leave the church. They come here, they encounter something awful, um, and here being any church, and they leave because it offends them. 
Pastor Michael and I were talking and praying this morning, and he's been talking about this revelation he's had, and he showed me the scriptures out of Romans. It's completely correct, where we should think about everybody that wanders in off the street, right? Every visitor that any church has. We have to remember that in Romans, Paul talks about how all of us, he predestined us before the creation of the world to be his. And so it's almost as if, and this is the way kind of pastors, you're getting a glimpse into a pastor's heart. This is the way I see it. When someone wanders in off the streets, that's someone that probably God has predestined to be saved. And he's trusted me and you to help them on that journey. And so he sent them here. And so that person is so important, right? And these are the kinds of ways that I think we all should be thinking. But it starts with me. It starts with you. And so that's where we're going to be today. And these are hard verses. And I really, I beg you to, to lock into this, to not get offended. I'm not preaching these in an offensive way. I worked hard at that. I just did that hard part. But to take these inside and, and, and think about them and wrestle with them and pray about them over this coming week because they're so vitally important to global faith. Let's start out. I'm just going to read through it real quick. Luke 11, verses 37 um, through 41, I'm going to start with here. Right? Yes. Thank you, John. Now, when Jesus had spoken... This is, remember, the sign of Jonah, having your body full of light, not darkness. When Jesus had spoken this stuff, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. Oh, that's cool. And he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that Jesus had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, now, <laughs> you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside of you, you're full of robbery and wickedness. You, you foolish ones, did, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean to you. And what Jesus is saying, it's, it's a clear picture, right? In, in, the, in Judaism, there's a special ceremonial way to wash. And you start a certain way, you proceed a certain way, it's done in a certain way with certain things. And then when you're done, like a surgeon, you can walk over to the table and recline. You know, that's the way they ate back then. They thought it aided digestion if you were laying back on the couch. I can assure them it doesn't. Um, but you were, you, it was so important that you ceremonially wash and come to the table like a surgeon, right? And so the part of that ceremony, ceremonial cleansing is, is spiritual. So while you're doing this, it's reminding you in prayer that you're also trying to stay aware of the sins that you need to be cleansed of. But Jesus just came in for whatever reason. I think it's to teach him this lesson. He walks over and he just reclines at the table while they're all washing. You know, they're probably like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> well, this guy's holy, you know. He's scrubbing under my nails, saying my, you know. And Jesus, Jesus starts talking to them when they mention this to him. And they had every right to mention it to him, you know, in their context. But he says, look, it's like, it's like, 
if you went to wash the dishes after this meal, you know, you take the cups, you take the serving platters, whatever, but you just wash the outsides. You just wash the outside of every cup and bowl, and then you just, you know, put it in the dish drainer. And then you flip the, the platters over and you wash the bottoms of them, and then you just put it in the dish drainer. What good is that? Where's all the dirt? It's inside the cup. It's in, you, now look at the dish drainer tray. Isn't that gross? You know, everything's just kind of glopped down in there, right? And he said, but see, this is what you're doing, is you're, you're forgetting what is authentic inside of you, and you're just paying attention to the outward stuff. You're, you're not paying attention to what needs to be cleansed inside of you spiritually. You're just paying attention to the outside trappings, or to put it another way, he said, you're paying attention to your hypocrisy instead of your authenticity. Because see, this is a lesson on authenticity versus hypocrisy. And if someone on the live stream watching from home would care to help me out, I'd love for you to type that into the, into the feed, authenticity versus hypocrisy. Jesus here is pointing at the Pharisees, but he's also pointing in at us about this idea of analyzing what's inside of us as well as what's outside of us. Because it's important that what people encounter in me, when you come across me during the week, when you just knock on my door at home and come in, and whatever, wherever we encounter each other, that I'm the same person there as I am here. That's important to me. Um, because if it's not, then I can just become this pastor who everybody loves, and we've heard all these stories, right? And then I go home, and I'm a horrible person. But you would just be shocked if you knew that, right? And that's not the case, to be clear. Uh, I don't think it is anyway. I'm trying not to look at my wife. Um, but, no, I try and be the same everywhere I am. And I have issues. I was very convicted this week by this message. I used to lead youth group, and that's why I'm going to do this. I have this pad of paper up here today. But I was a youth pastor for eight years, loved it, until I was broken. And then I had to hire someone to take over from me and limp away. But I, I taught this lesson a long time ago, and this, this occurred to me while I was studying this. So imagine that this is your life. This is reminding me of Bob Gleason when he used to pull out his slide projector. So this is your life. I'm an amazing artist. See how perfect circle that is? Um, but what happens is internally, when we start thinking about our faith, now think of a high schooler or a college-age person, right? The time of life that's, in my opinion, the most difficult. I have so much passion for helping that age group because you're processing so much. Who am I? Who am I apart from my parents? Who am I at school? Who am I at work? What do I want to do for work? Do I even want to go? There's just so many things to process. But then you add in a, a youth or young adult who's also processing their faith. And what happens is you have this person who comes to church, comes to youth group, leads a, out, just outwardly a great life, and oftentimes inwardly a pretty great life too, but they start to learn to compartmentalize. It's like the old game of Trivia Pursuit, where they start doing this, right? And so they internally, instead of just a nice, clean, empty circle, you have all these compartments. And so this is the way I am, 
and present myself to people when I'm at church. But that's pretty different than who I am at home. And then when I go to work, I'm worried about getting fired for expressing my faith, or for me, it was just simply wearing a cross necklace. I'm a pretty big coward, or used to be. Um, and so I present my faith a different way at work. And then I have all those high school or college or now adult friends, right? And some of them are heathens, but I hang out with them anyway. And so I have to make some compromises there. I can't do that, right? <laughs> I have to make some compromises there, and I'm a little bit different with my friends, right? And this just goes on and on and on. And what happens is you lose this, where you're just a stable person, and you're fairly happy. Because now you're living a lie on some level. You know, they say the thing about lies that makes your life horrible is that you have to remember them. Okay, I said this to this one person, so I got to make sure, and it's not reality, but I said it just to cover my butt. So I got to make sure whenever I talk to this person, I do this. But I have this other thing going on over here, and I've talked to this person. Oh, I hope these two people never talk together. That's going to blow me out of the water uh, or whatever, right? So you're always worrying about this. <clears throat> well, same thing here. You hang out with a whole bunch of friends. Rick Warren and I agree says you become who you surround yourself with. So I surrounded myself with some pretty bad people in high school and I fell into some bad ways. You know, and that's my fault. I don't blame them, right? I could have been the Christian person influence there in that crowd and still been friends. I wasn't anywhere near Christ at the time. Or some other people are at home, and when they're at church, you know, people just think they admire them. Their whole family's dressed well, and they're all smiling, and they never seem to have an issue. I wish I was like them. And they go home, and the father's abusing the child, or the mother, or the kid is just like, and, you know, and just goes into their bedroom and turns on the video games. That's not always a bad thing, but, you know, just wants nothing to do. At church, they seem really connected, but in reality, they're really separated. Or when you go to work, um, and you have to kind of bury your faith or not say anything when someone offends you because you don't want to pass over that promotion or come off as that kind of person or whatever. My goal in life, and this is what I started this at Home Depot when I moved into working for Home Depot of all places and wore my cross necklace. That's a story for another time that I've told here before. But I decided, can I start pulling out these dividers? Can I start pulling out these dividers? Can I get back to this? Can I just be a person that doesn't have to cover all the, the misconceptions I'm purposely throwing out there? Can I live a life of integrity where I can make the same statement at home, at church, at my job, for me it's the same thing, or amongst all my friends? Can, can my friends know who I am as well as you know me. And in today's context, you might even say, can my, can my friends know my standing on social issues as a pastor as well as you know or may expect them to be? And I hope the answer actually is yes. I work very hard at that. And so what, what I want to encourage everybody here and what Jesus is kind of encouraging this Pharisee is 
this is the inside of your cup. This is the inside of your bowl. This is the actual food side of your platter. You need to clean that too. You, you need to clean those things. I'm not going to go over there because I'm probably driving my, our film crew crazy. Um, so that you can flip that piece of paper and just be happy. Just be who you are. And in being who you are, if you're doing it right, being able to be accepted by everybody for who you are. Which usually means you got to stay away from extremes, which are unhealthy anyway. When you get people that want to separate from you and it's pretty clear they don't like you, you probably want to ask yourself why. Because if we're calling ourselves Christians, which means little Christ or of Christ or in Christ, then we've got to think about Christ's character. Now, who invited him to this lunch? The Pharisee. Yeah. It's not that they hated him. They were very disturbed by Jesus. But they didn't hate him, and they saw something in him. And so they invited him over to lunch to be able to talk more intimately with him. He had a character that people wanted to be around. And it was his personal integrity. Think of personal integrity in terms of Jesus himself. That's a pretty high, a man of pretty high integrity, <laughs> to say the least, right? And that's what we're supposed to be striving to be. And so if you really, you know, in John 8, I think, Jesus says, if you are truly my disciples, you'll do what I tell you, and then you're going to know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. When you start pulling out all the dividers in your life so that you're the same everywhere, it's one of the weirdest things about Christianity. It sets you free. It's super scary at first. Because it's going to require you to quit swearing so much around your friends. Because you wouldn't do that inside the walls of a church. And there's reasons for that, right? It's not just tradition. And other things, right? So it's going to force you to transform yourself to a person of integrity the more you work on these dividers. All right, that's authenticity versus hypocrisy. Matthew um, chapter 15, verses 17 through 19, uh, I'm just going to read them real fast, four verses, but he actually talks, he expands this a little bit. It's interesting, the same setting, he writes about it too. He says, um, with Jesus speaking, do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated. I just like to, it's a, it's a moment to be gross. I like that as a pastor. You're just talking about stuff, right? But the things that proceed out of our mouth come from our heart and they defile us. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, lying, um, slander. These are the things which defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the person. I love that because Matthew's pointing out um, more of what Jesus said. He remembers more, and he, he actually points out the hand-washing part, where Jesus circles back and says, look, it's not, it's not about the food. This isn't what makes you holy. It's your internals that make you holy or unholy. 
Let's move on in there in verses 42 through 44. He just keeps going at it. And he says, woe to you Pharisees. Now, woe is a term of sadness. We think of that as like condemnation. Woe to you, Gary. No, it's, it's <laughs> Gary's like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> it's woe to you Pharisees. Like, oh, woe to you Pharisees. It's sadness, right? It's important. But woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Ugh, woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogue and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Ugh, woe to you, for you're like concealed tombs and the people that walk over them are unaware of it. There's a lot going on here. But basically... You know, there was, there was even rules for if you're, like, I like to garden. I have a few herbs and vegetables and flowers. But there were rules that if you were to partake of God's bounty, you would tithe even 10% of the leaves that you took or, or the flowers that you, there were rules for everything, right? And so this, he's actually pointing to actual kind of really crazy rules, kind of extreme rules. But he's saying you're, you're so... You, you pick mint and you feel so good because every tenth leave you set aside for the temple to, for a burnt offering later. I'm such a good person. But you forget about um, justice for other people and love for God. Not just like what I have to do for God. Christianity is the only faith in the planet where you don't have to do anything. It's been done by Jesus Christ. Right? It's, it's not about what you do. It's about your love. And he talks about the chief seats. That's a little easier to understand. People that want to look great all the time and, and um, hello, you know, father, you know, whatever, saint, you know, whatever. It, it's, it's having the big titles, being the boss or being so well-respected. I just want to be up on this pedestal where I belong. And that's not what it's about either. Because remember earlier I told you it's about what's inside of you. It's that dirt in the cup. And a whitewashed tomb, they used to, there were so many laws about touching a dead person. You know, we talked about that in the Good Samaritan story. But they would whitewash like the headstones or anything poking up on a grave so that people would go, oh, that's a grave, and walk around it. Because they didn't want to risk touching anything that would make them ceremonially unclean. And that's cool for respect. But Jesus turns it around and says, you're like concealed tombs, like you're like a grave that no one whitewashed. And everybody that comes into contact with you are actually unaware that they're being made unclean. Ooh, that's a hard statement to hear. Again, if you're online, watching online, I would love for you to help me out by just typing this in. I think for me, this is the difference between being part of a religion and part of being religious. I wanted to go with religiosity this morning, um, but I looked that up and that actually is a good term. Religion is a set of tenets or rules that, that a faith system follows. We have those. If anyone says to you, it's not about religion, it's about spirituality, that's a lie. Or it's actually just a misunderstanding. But we have a set of rules. You have to come to a place of faith with Jesus and the completed work on the cross. That's why this cross is empty and doesn't have a crucified cross on it. 
because that work has been done. That's just a sign of remembrance. Jesus isn't still hanging on it. He is risen. And so we do have tenets and beliefs in our system of religion. That's important. But the Pharisees, Jesus is pointing out, are getting caught in them. Instead of, instead of becoming religious, following, actually following, actually being, actually living into those rules and tenets and understanding why they're there, they were just following the rules and tenets and forgetting about the being. Again, forgetting about the internal integrity. And they'd lost sight of that. And that's so easy to do. We, we beat up on the Pharisees all the time because we have this in writing. We, it looks like Jesus was beating up on them. But again, remember, this Pharisee invited Jesus in for lunch. There was a connection there. And we are Pharisees by nature because there are things that we do, go to church, I don't know, attend a Christian concert, uh, go to a Bible study, and then we go home or go to work, and we're very different people. Because we think these rules, and they're important. A Bible study is very important to learn more deeply. Going to church, I believe, well, Book of Hebrews talks about it, is, in, is crucially important to encourage one another in our faith. You know, all these things are important, but they're not the important thing. What's important when we gather as a church is to, be in, to encourage one another in our faith, in our internals. That's actually the important part. The rest you can do at home by yourself. And so he's trying to point that out. And that's the difference between religion and religious. Religion isn't a bad thing to an extent, but we have to remember to be religious. To be religious not just doing all the right things, but being all the right things. And that happens primarily by pulling out those dividers. Finally, in, this, in the close, and it's a long passage, so I'm just going to read through it. Verses 45 through 54 closes out this amazing chapter of the Bible. So one of the lawyers now turns to him, to Jesus, and says, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. Can you just imagine, like there's another guy st sitting at dinner or at lunch, and he says this, and Jesus just goes, <laughs> I mean, I would be like, uh, uh, can I take those words back? You know, just don't look at me. Don't, don't even answer. I'm not, you know. But this guy asks this question, and a lawyer, the difference between a lawyer and a Pharisee is, um, I hate to draw this example. No, no, no. So uh, a Pharisee would be someone that's delivering messages, right? And kind of out in the public, connecting with the public, always trying to get people into the temple. It'd basically be me in these, in these situations in modern times. Someone preaching the word in a temple. I'm preaching the word in a church and out amongst the people, right? I just like to think I do it a little better. But a lawyer is a guy, is a person, well, it is a guy only at that time, who's in charge of recording the rules and making sure people are following the rules. Kind of like the lawyers of today. But a, these lawyers were only concerned about religious rules, okay? One of them was, was foolish enough to uh, 
confront Jesus during, while Jesus is confronting this Pharisee. I'm sure the Pharisee's like, oh, thank you, Joe. I appreciate that <laughs> to the lawyer, you know. But Jesus says, woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh people down with burdens that are so hard to bear, while you yourself won't even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You know, you want everybody else to do all this stuff, but, you know, you don't always do it. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. You know, you're talking about all these laws from the prophets of the Old Testament, but remember it was your ancestors that slaughtered those prophets, and yet now you're saying you follow them and we have to too? That seems hypocritical. Verse 48, so you're witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers because it was they who killed them and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some they will just persecute. I think of Stephen, right? The first martyr. I think of Jesus himself who's speaking. From the blood, oh, I'm sorry, verse 50. Is that right? Yeah, verse 50. So that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God, yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. You follow these prophets, and you follow all of them. You're pretty good at that. Abel was considered the first prophet in, in, the, in Judaism. Zechariah was considered one of the last prophets. It's interesting that it ends up being A to Z, God's, you know, all plan. But Zechariah also made a call when he was being killed um, that they would be answerable to his blood. And that became a lot of Jewish rules of your blood will be, or their blood will be demanded of you, which I'm actually under that law. Um, but I'm not because I have Christ. But the idea if I was a Jewish priest if I don't convince you of God or I do something to offend you against God, your blood, when you die, is going to be charged to my fault. And so that was a heavy burden there. It still is. Woe to you lawyers, verse 52, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourself did not enter and you hindered those who are entering. What's the key of knowledge? Well, we know now it's Jesus Christ. And we know that loving God and loving each other is everything. It's the key of knowledge, right? Jesus says in a different passage, upon all the law and all the prophets, those two things hang. So he's summing everything. He says, summing up the entire plan of God, it's just, it's simple. It's love God and love each other with everything you got. Don't look for ways to condemn so much as ways to show grace and growth. Verse 53, when he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile, I'll bet, and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. They weren't interested in confessing that these things are true or repenting of them. They just went on the attack. And that still goes on in 2021, right? We've seen that socially with all the issues that are out there. We see our courts and our lawyers kind of piling on, making like um, precedent more important than the present. 
if you will. That's the way I think of it sometimes. I mean, they're trying to build a logical system. I, I admire and appreciate that. But sometimes they're making laws that don't help anybody, right? One of the things that's going on right now in California, we had to talk about this at the camp board meeting, is that we can no longer carry insurance at the camp, nor can most nonprofit agencies in the near future in California, because there's been so many fires that the insurance companies are pulling out of California. And so what they're doing is, so California made it, passed a new law, and it's called the California Easy Plan. So you know it's going to be bad, right? See, I, saw, I got a head shake right away. When I got two head shakes, yeah. And it is bad. So this Easy Plan is if you're a nonprofit, a church, a camp, uh, a homeless agency, uh, anything nonprofit, you can, for $50,000 a year, you can have coverage. Or you can have no coverage at all, nothing. You can't have it in increments. It's easy. We pay just under $8,000 a year at the camp for complete coverage of everything. And so if you just, it, it's easy. Just take it up to 50 grand a year and you're still covered. I mean, it's not going to be the same or as good a coverage, but at least you'll be covered. And so we've determined, as most, I think, all camps have in California now, that it's cheaper for us to replace any burned down buildings than it is to pay $50,000 every single year. And then they've put a cap on the maximum claim, which is, I think, like $50 million or something. And so you couldn't really rebuild anyway. But these are the kind of laws. You see a need, you see like, this isn't good, we need to be able to insure our nonprofits, but then you make this weird rule that, that forces a non, would force a nonprofit out of business. We actually had to take on, there's a second law that's just, that has been instituted for a while in California only, where you can now, it came out of the um, Catholic Church molesting of children thing. Um, so you now can sue anybody for any damage that was done to you all the way back to the 1960s forward. It used to be like it has to have current precedence, right? It has to be fairly new. And now they thought, well, what about these boys that were molested as, as kids, you know, 50 years ago? What about them? And so that's, that's a good question to ask. Like, yeah, we need to take care of them. But now anybody can sue anybody for any infringement they've had in the last 60 years. And in that writing, they sue the board of directors of that organization. And so I sit on the board of Heavenly Hills. You know, uh, we sit on the board here at uh, First Christian. Now we have different insurance that isn't covering that yet. So we're okay still, but it's going to be pulled away. But we had to get uh, D&O insurance, which is directors and officers insurance, because they could come and sue every single one of us that sit on the board for the same amount of money. So they could actually exponentially increase their, their winnings, if you will, or, or their judgments. Um, and so we had to get insurance just to be able to cover us because it would destroy all of our lives, right? For the one person maybe that had their life destroyed, more likely someone that just wanted to sue and make some money. And so that insurance is going to cost us, just for that insurance for the people, is going to cost us $18,000 a year. Now, we, just a minute ago, we were paying just under $8,000 a year for everything. 
fire, replacement, wounding, you know, uh, lawsuits, all this stuff. So now we've more than doubled that and gotten almost no coverage that's useful, but we have to do it to be responsible. This is the thing that I believe, I do believe, including our government, including our current president, everything, I do believe that these things are being done with a spirit of what they think is best for the people. I do believe that. I want to be clear about that. I just read in Romans 13, and my wife pointed it out as well when she read it in our read through the New Testament in a year devotional. Romans 13 talks about obeying your authorities. God has put them in there, right? And so while I don't believe with everything that they're doing, maybe sometimes even most of what they're doing, I do believe I need to pray for them and work to help them see what's right. That some organization needs to rise up and say, look what you're doing to nonprofits with insurance. Look at all these camps or all these churches that are being burned out in these fires in California and now Oregon and Washington, and they can't be replaced because you've driven them out of insurance and help change those laws. But we do that with faith, too. Again, and one last time, if you're watching online, I would love for you to help me by typing in the phrase helping versus hindering faith. What Jesus is driving at here is, you know, when, when you're putting a barrier between people having faith and you're not even going in either. It's like you're actually working for Satan in a way because you're just blocking the gate, you know? And so that goes back to the person that wanders in off the street who God is predestined perhaps to be in a relationship with him. And we need to make sure that the rules or our attitudes, our integrity, all these things do nothing but help that person instead of hinder them. Because honestly, a lot of people, especially fringe people, tend to encounter a church and be rejected. And they walk away. And a lot of them walk away from their faith because of that. Well, if that's what Christianity is, that's what the rest of the world is. And I know the rest of the world is a mess. So forget it. And so we need to be people of integrity. We need to be people that are being religious. We need to be people that are purposely helping other people find God, find their faith. Or we run the risk of everything else that Jesus convicted them on. In the old days, old days, probably about 20 years ago, I remember the saying, I hated the saying. So, I had, so that's why I remember it. It's called KISS. Do you remember that saying? K-I-S-S. So do you remember what it stands for? Keep it simple, stupid. Forgive me uh, for using bad language. Um, uh, keep it simple, stupid. I think we need to do this in our faith too. It just boils down. Jesus said, keep it simple, uh, people. Uh, keep it simple, saints. Let's do that, all right? Keep it simple, saints. Love God and love each other, and be a person of high integrity that doesn't, isn't hypocritical, isn't hypocritical, isn't filled with hypocrisy, and it has all these different ways of being, rather than just living into being a person of faith. I want to challenge you this week with this challenge. The challenge is, what traits inside of myself 
do not align with people that I see on the outside. That one hit me like a hammer in the forehead uh, over this week. I don't have a lot of this, don't get me wrong, but I have things I need to work on. A better question might be, why don't these traits line up? Why, aren't, why do I have divisions? That's actually a really fruitful conversation in prayer to have with yourself and with God, because it will reveal so much good stuff. And how do I realign this trait, all these traits, with God's purpose for my life and live it out? What is God's purpose for your life? To love him and to love each other. Keep it simple, saints. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I pray people, um, this first people to think about their own personal integrity with you and before you, in front of you, and others. I pray, Father, that you would find us to be people of growing integrity, that you would encourage each of us to pull out these dividers and be the same saint before other people that we are at home, that we are at work, that we are in school, that we are with our friends. Find us a way for us to operate in integrity in each of those scenarios because it's difficult to navigate. And for those who, who haven't thought about this before, for those who haven't thought about you, Jesus, before, who haven't, have just encountered hypocrisy, have just encountered uh, church people that ugh, aren't any better than anybody else, probably some of them are much worse. I just pray that you would reach these people. If they're listening right now or if they encounter this message um, by video some other time or maybe someone sitting in this room, that you would just get them past the hypocrisy of God's people and let them still see you, the God of these people, trying to save each of us and each of them in grace, in the gospel of grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I am going to actually just quickly move into communion right now. And we're going to, I want to read you a passage out of 1 Corinthians 11. Um, Ron or Barry, if you want to pass out communion, that'd be good. <clears throat> if you'd like to be on um, a person on the rotation for communion messages, um, we'd love to have you do that. There's some responsibility there, so I'd want to talk with you, but it's one of the reasons why I'm doing the message this morning is because we could use some more people helping out there, and I'd love to have you be part of that. In 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus, uh, Paul actually tells us how to take communion, <clears throat> and I think it's important to know this. John actually touched on this, with, I think just last week, right, or last time John was giving communion. That's why they're so... His communions are so meaty. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we'll do this together in a minute. Sorry, I know I'm confusing you. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, why are we doing this? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This do in remembrance of me. 
Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man or woman must examine themselves, and in so doing is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So on the night of the Last Supper, the Passover meal, Jesus took, there's several glasses of wine, I've said this before in the Jewish tradition, he took the glass that was a cup of redemption. It's interesting. I think it's the third cup of wine that night. So one night, Jewish kids are allowed to get blasted. But um, he, took, he took the bread first, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And he took that cup of redemption, that third glass of wine, I believe. And and so it was redemption in this glass. And he said, take and drink, for this is my blood poured out for you, for your sins. Father, we, we recognize you. Jesus, we remember, we do this in remembrance of you. That until you return, we take these emblems internally inside of ourselves as a symbol to flood our internal integrity and draw us closer to being people like you, people that, that love the Father and love his children. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to close up by having Barry come on up here and do some announcements. Well, it's so good to have everybody here today, um, both here in person and online. I'm especially blessed to be back. I just got back from a five-day backpacking trip, so you know, being back with you guys and having a soft bed to sleep in, it was really good. So, so, it was good. so last night was great. But just wanted to, to bring a few announcements and a few things coming up um, that we have. Um, so if you want to have more discussion on what Scott, Pastor Scott just preached about, we're going to be doing our Sermon 2.0 study this Wednesday night at 7, where we'll go deeper into a lot of what Pastor Scott shared with us and have a lot of great discussions on that. So if you're interested in that, let me or um, Pastor Scott know. We can get you cooked into that. Um, so that's on Wednesday night. Coming up, another great event to be together um, as part of a church family. We're going to be on August 29th. So that will be two weeks from today. Um, we will be having a church picnic, potluck, um, celebration. We're calling it back to school, or but you could call it whatever, back to whatever. But, you know, we're kind of starting a new year, school year-wise and that. So that's going to be on the 29th, right after church. And that, so for those that came to our 4th of July barbecue and really enjoyed it, we're going to do that one more time before summer wraps up. So that's going to be two weeks from today. So it'll be outside. So for those... Um, you know that they really you know don't like to wear the masks and all that. We'll be able to be outside. We can you, know, you don't have to wear a mask out in the back um, and, and that. So that's going to be coming up. 
in that. A couple more prayer requests, um, a special prayer um, for um, one of our sisters in Christ as part of our family, Gwen. Um, she was in a car accident and is in definite need of prayer for her recovery in that. She's got some injuries from that. So just you know, be in prayer for Gwen this week and the next few weeks in that. Like Pastor Scott mentioned, we do want to pray for rain. Um, there's a huge need for that here in California, but it's also a need up in Oregon, the whole West Coast. Um, you know, we need it for just our overall water, but our firefighters desperately need it. I was reading an article this morning um, on the Dixie Fire way up north in northern California, and they were so hoping for rain this, this last few days and didn't get it, and so the fire continues to get worse. And so pray for rain, pray for our firefighters in that. And lastly, um, you know, just another you know, world kind of issue, but prayer in Haiti, if you didn't read this morning's paper or news, a huge earthquake, 7.2 I think it was, and it's especially difficult in areas that are poor because obviously their, their buildings aren't made to withstand earthquakes. And so everything, almost everything falls down. In that. So huge destruction, huge loss of life there in Haiti. In that. So I'm going to close in prayer real quick, and, but you be in, in prayer for these items as well as we um, go through this week. So let's pray. Father, thank you for a beautiful day, a beautiful time of worship. And a great message, Father, we all need to be challenged to pursue integrity, to pursue a life that is, is honest and open. Um, so guide us in that, Father. Help us to pick off one thing this week that we can work on. But Father, I do want to lift up some of these requests. I pray for our sister Gwen. May you help ease her pain right now, Father. May you encourage her heart. And Father, I pray you would just right now begin to heal her body and bring her back to her normal self. Um, Father, it's a difficult thing going through an accident like that. Um, watch over, Father, um, the people in Haiti, Father, as they suffer greatly many losses of lives, that you would um, help bring that nation back together and, and get on their feet again. Um, but pray for those people that are there, that you would protect and, and heal them and encourage them. And Father, we do pray for rain for our land here in California. I pray for our firefighters. Guide each of them and bring rain and refreshment Lord, to our land here, we pray. So all these things we pray in the name of our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So thank you for being here. You have great blessings this week, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. So thanks. <laughs>